when I watch my wife on her phone, she's watching YouTube shorts a lot. And I asked her, I said, how did you get into the YouTube short experience? Like, how did you land there? And she's like, I don't know. She's like, I was on YouTube and now I'm watching short videos. Like, it's just the funniest thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I watch her behavior as a, as someone who just uses her phone casually to figure out how yep. she ends up in certain spots. Yep. Welcome to Geared Up. I'm Andrew Edwards. I am John Rettinger. Still John Rettinger. Geared Up, we're back. We have what may be, in my personal humble opinion, the best holiday season guest we've ever had might not be the best guest of all time but definitely within the holiday season area of the year i don't know if there's anyone <laughs> that, better to talk wait, to wait, talk talk about a backhanded compliment man wait I yeah know, right? i think i messed this, that up i think i messed guest, that up it was, it was supposed to be a good compliment I this think, guest you know looks what? good you know for him <laughs> i'm saying there's no one better to talk to in the month of december <laughs> for some reason holiday gifts i'm gonna can i take over this can i take over this yeah, i'm very do. confused right now but <laughs> all right do. this this guest is incredible for a lot of reasons, but is especially incredible in the holiday season. As you guys didn't see before, camera busted out a little uh, hand mixer syrup as drink. He's got gadgets and recommendations <laughs> that we didn't even know existed. Oh my That's gosh. Right. Ladies and gentlemen. That's what I was trying to say. Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Neether or Kevin the Tech Kevin Ninja. Kevin the Tech Ninja. Hey. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, man. I would love to be a great guest without so many qualifiers, but you know, if you got to filter down, eventually I'll be number one in some in some multiple of categories combined. It's like ESPN when they have these random stats. Like, did you know that Deshaun Watson on a Tuesday after a full moon is the best quarterback ever? So I, I, I appreciate the filters mm. making me making me number one. So thank you so much, guys. But did you notice who who didn't backhand compliment you? You didn't. That's right. I Listen, appreciate. I that. messed up. I messed up. It was supposed to be a front hand, not a back hand. And it just it just didn't go through. Listen, the, the hand mixer threw me off. This man was talking about how ghetto he is. And then the next thing you know, he he brings into the video frame a glass of unmixed coffee. And I'm thinking, oh, he is ghetto. He's just drinking his coffee unmixed. Nope. He then has the hand mixer in his studio that he just quickly. It's a frother. Up. It's a frother. It's oh, a frother. I'm sorry. A frother. Frother. There, there it is. The frother. <laughs> to make a, a perfect glass of uh, of cold brew coffee. So wait, wait, listen. what you guys didn't see was who made that. I believe some member of his staff made that, handed it to him. Whoa. He didn't appreciate. He didn't appreciate the taste. <laughs> oh, it was too yeah, strong. Bro. Handed it back and said, "Do it again." No, Kirkland. I got it from got it from Kirkland Signature. Okay, it's a Kirkland Signature cold <laughs> brew. Come on, guys. Yeah, that's fine. Which is actually Starbucks. My wife works at Starbucks. Fun fact: My wife works oh, at Starbucks. There you go. There you go. Two fun facts in a row. <laughs> all right, we're, we're going to kick this off with a little little YouTube talk. We've been yes. it's been a minute since we recorded. We're all, all three of us work primarily on on making video content. And Kevin said, "Hey, well, can we just kick it off by talking about YouTube a little bit?" Yeah, for sure. What, what do you want to talk about? What, what's going on? It's a busy time of year for us. Yeah, it, it is an extremely busy time of year. And every year, I would say towards the end of the year, I do like a channel audit where I look at my channel and see. I'm sure most creators do the same thing. You see what works, see what doesn't work. And I'm learning that, you know, everyone talks about niching down and on YouTube, like finding a specific yeah. niche that works for you. And I would think that technology is a niche, but it feels like for me that I need to niche down in my niche, that I need to be very specific about the content I create, because that is where the views are made. And although I'm a person with vast interests in life and I want to do more than just talk about cell phones, I find yeah. that my time is most valuable when making content just about cell phones. And to me, that's weird because I don't know a person that is into cell phones. But if I talk about something else, like I don't like TVs, I don't like this, I don't like that, but I like cell phones. I don't like anything else. I don't like a case for a cell phone. I don't like an accessory, <laughs> yeah. 
but I want you to tell me for 15 minutes why this is a good phone or not a good phone. And that is just the most confusing thing for me um, as a content creator, because I'm a person that loves technology and it's just hard for me to just make one sort of video, one type of video. But I was always told that once you start dictating what your audience should like from you, that is the moment you lost your audience. And I have to really listen to my audience and that is what they want. So that's a sobering thing that I, I deal with every year, to be quite honest. Can I ask you a question, Kevin? Yeah. What percent of your views is coming from subscribers? A very low number. Mm. So if you're making view videos that your audience wants, you're making views for a very low percentage of your total audience? I agree, but I'm, I'm actually just looking at the, the, the total performance of the video per se, right? So the total viewers, not the subscribers. Yeah, and, and, and I do feel that there's something to be said that when your video is made, it gets pushed to your subscribers and how they react to that video is the velocity of that video getting pushed out to more people. So I kind of feel like when you make a video, YouTube gives a sample to your audience, like, is this, is this a good video, right? So I kind of feel like my audience- 100% true. Yeah, so like when I make a video about a cell phone, Typically, it does well. Like, typically, it's going to do well. It pushes out to my audience, and I have great success in there, and that the velocity continues throughout the life of that video. Whereas, I make a video that I think is going to do well, but my audience who subscribe to me may not want that type of video. And from there, it falls flat on its face. And maybe later it gets picked up when more people start watching it. At the end of the day, I can tell the success of a video within the first three days. That's interesting. I mean, you have niched down from te like technology. I feel like everything is technology these days, but consumer electronics would be a niche within technology, which is where you, yeah, I think all of us currently kind of fit. But you're saying consumer electronics even feels yes. way too broad for me, for you, for me, for you, for me. And then what I'm dealing with now, and this is, I, I totally understand it. I made a Tesla video six months later with the Tesla, and that might be my number one video this year. It's sitting at like 300K views like great success, like retention rate is amazing, 800 subs. And I don't make Tesla content though. So these subscribers now, like I like this type of video. I like Tesla videos, right? And then I don't make Tesla videos because I only made one video because that's not my niche. But but those new yeah. subscribers now are, are wanting those type of videos, I'm assuming. So that's kind of a tough thing for me where my most successful video is not in my niche. So yeah. <laughs> you really want people to watch you for you. Yeah. Like you really want to be, just take Jimmy Kimmel or something, right? Jimmy Fallon. People will typically tune into them for them, not like, oh, Jimmy Fallon has this guest on today, so now I'm going to watch. Some people certainly do that, mm -hmm. but most people are like, oh, I want to, I just want to watch who, whatever he's talking about, yes. I just want to watch him. And that's kind of like, that's like the ultimate challenge is figuring out how to get people to watch you for you. What can make you stand out? What can make you not seem repetitive and instead seem, you know, like an individual. What makes you stand out to make people say, yeah, I've, I've watched this video from yeah. three other people, but I still need to watch his video because he's going to do it this way or have this kind of take that I haven't seen elsewhere. I agree. I agree. And I try to bring that with every video. I, I do my best to, to bring that in every video because when I have a successful video, I look at the comments and there's always like, People would say, I subscribe because you said X, Y, and Z. I subscribe because of this. I subscribe because of that. You mentioned something that other people aren't mentioning. There, You have to mm. be different to be successful. In every video, I try to be different. I try to tackle it from a different angle. I, I do my best not to watch other people's content, and I come in with a fresh mindset, and I try to sell, tell a story within my video. You know what I mean? I try to talk about it, walk you through these experiences of covering a product. So that's kind of where I go, but- 
The problem is if you don't get eyeballs on that video in the first place, you can't, you don't get yep. a chance to tell that story. You only have the thumbnail and the title and you're very right. limited in that retrospect. So the onus is on me to figure that out as the creator. I have to continue to evolve and continue to adjust as the systems change and, and viewership change. So that's just, that's the mindset I'm in right now as far as like looking at my channel and, and, you know, 2022, 2023 stuff. You yeah. Know? Right. So I, I wanted to talk about YouTube side differently. I think every, every creator needs to do exactly what Kevin just said, sort of look internally. I've been experimenting with a lot of stuff outside of main YouTube. I don't know if people know this, but I own a lot of other channels that I'm not on the camera for, but I kind of operate things behind the scenes. One of the things that I really wanted to learn these past few months was YouTube shorts. Mm-hmm. And as a sort of YouTube shorts monetization gets turned on in, in February, try to understand it. So I have a show on Snapchat. It's called Interstellar News. We talk about space news and all kinds of that, all kinds of things. We converted that over to a YouTube Shorts channel a little over three months ago, maybe three and a half months ago. Can I ask a quick question? Yes. When you said converted it over, do you mean you just take that footage and put it on YouTube Shorts, or did you actually do something in we addition? Did. We did. We started. We started. We took the theme of the show, but created unique content for YouTube Shorts. Some are themed, but designed and, and edited just for Shorts. It has to be under Got fifty-nine it. seconds. In the first twenty-eight days, we did almost seventeen million views. Mm. Mm. We have over 107,000 subscribers now. It was out viewing my two main channels, so my channel and the Apple Circle, on views. We had videos in a channel that had existed for three months getting seven, five million views per video. Mm. And so learned a lot about YouTube Shorts and how the algorithm treats it as an entirely different entity. And everything that we know about YouTube doesn't translate. Mm. So for anybody exploring the Shorts world, it's a huge question mark. YouTube is obviously pushing it, right? They're incentivized to push it. We don't know what the revenue is going to be. But if there's one company, I believe, that can figure out how to monetize creator content, it's Google and it's YouTube. And for those out there that are deciding where to put their efforts with an eye toward revenue, right? It's a business. I think everybody wants to make money from it. You look at what happened with what was it, iOS 13 when Apple turned off essentially ad tracking for Meta. Yeah turned off ad tracking, so was Instagram as well. Turned off ad tracking for Snapchat. You saw all the revenue in uh, TikTok as well. All the revenue on these platforms just cratered, right? Advertisers are still spending money, but the platform didn't know where to give those ads to. Look at a company like Google, obviously owns YouTube and subsequently YouTube Shorts. They have Google. They have Chrome. Right. They already know who you are. They don't, they don't need iOS tracking to figure out who you are and where to serve ads to. So if you're banking on the future of not necessarily YouTube, but the future of short content, I firmly believe it will be YouTube shorts because that's where the creators are going to put their content. That's where their creators can make money. The TikTok creator fund is a joke. <laughs> yeah. And nobody talks about that. The sponsorship world inside of TikTok is tough and cutthroat. I think YouTube is going to figure it out and figure it out very quickly. Yeah. And I mean, the one thing I always tell people, if YouTube launches something new, dive in. If, if you see them launching something and then promoting it, that is a telltale sign. Take part in this because it very well may be the next big thing. And you don't want to you don't want to wait until, you know, there was like when TikTok was rising um, at the start of the pandemic and it was all just people dancing and people like dubbing like voices on top of each other, and making joke videos. I was like, everybody like start making TikTok tech content like this is going to blow up. Don't ignore it. Everybody's, what are you talking about? This is just the app for little girls to dance around and this and that. Like, do not miss this. It's a good opportunity to get in early. And then 
A year later, it's always Dan Barbera or somebody from Macworld. Oh man, I wish I got into that. Dan, I told you thirteen <laughs> sure, months. It, it, what do you mean? It is always, you it you it always it. Dan. It's me. It's and me. Dan's always always. Oh, Drew, you don't do that. You're just wasting your time. Dan. It was me too. It was me too. Oh, <laughs> it, was, it, was, Kevin too. it was me too. Same thing with Instagram and everything. It's it like Shorts is going to be a good opportunity, and YouTube doesn't want us to fail. Like you look at how much marketing they put behind this. It's like almost like they are going to spend as necessary to make shorts the place to be for vertical video content and so yes knowing that i want to be a part of that i don't want to miss out on that opportunity or wait two years because i want to see how it let me just see if it's successful or not and then by that point you know people are making billions of views on shorts and you're just getting started yep very much agree so anyway i just it was a weird antidote to sort of learn these things behind the scenes and see the growth of shorts reminded me of the early days of youtube you, know, mm-hmm. you put up a video and four hours later, it's got 200,000 views. You picked up 30,000 subscribers in you know 12 days. Like this, like this is, that doesn't happen anymore. Typically. With no. YouTube. You drop a video, lose five subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, usually, you know, usually how that goes. So anyway, I just thought I would share that for those out there kind of deciding what they want to do. How much effort are you putting into shorts with your, let's just say your main, let's take your main content versus the ones that you're saying that were like made for shorts. Putting it, I'm putting a decent amount of time into shorts, if I'm being honest. I think it's going to be, I really think it's, it's going to be a tremendous revenue source, but also I think it's going to be the de facto platform in the next few years. We're not there mm. yet, and I don't want to be left behind. So I'm trying to get ahead of, ahead of that curve. Yeah. You know, we debated whether or not it should be shorts on, on established YouTube channels, create shorts on new short channels. Honestly, we're just learning how the algorithm worked right you know if you get a video that has an 85 percent watch time typically that's amazing on shorts that's a failure if you're not <laughs> yeah. over if you're no it's true if you're not over 90 percent, their shorts algorithm which is very different will not feed it out we tried serialized shorts part one two three four five even though there's really no way to go through and view them right. in order and we'd see part four pop off to <laughs> 300,000 views while part one two three and five are at like 12,000 views that's so incredible so just trying to learn and kind of A-B test everything. The fact that there's really no thumbnails is weird for YouTube. It's been interesting to, to try to learn the platform and try to figure out how it's going to play a role, especially in the content creators. Now, you can't do like integrations in it, right? You have 59 seconds. You'd have to sell a dedicated short, yeah. which probably nobody's, nobody's going to watch. So I'm very curious what the AdSense play is going to be when that gets turned on, I believe, in February. You can apply in January. I think they said you need, I believe it was 9 million or, or 10 million views the past 90 days on your channel that's if you're not already in the program so for example your channel which already is in the program won't have to requalify. but yeah you'll need either 10 million you need 10 million shorts views in the past 90 days in order to qualify if you're yep. not already qualified in a different yep. way but for those that want to create a dedicated channel for shorts or something yeah i do have a question about about shorts in general well i guess the question about youtube it to me it's very weird that this is rolled out with with no sort of best practices or, or anything. It's just like, here it None. is. And that's None. the craziest thing for me that, I mean, you know, we, we live that's in- the same as regular in, YouTube though, right? It was just like, hey, here's, just put your video here. But yeah, I just think it's just really weird that they're rolling this new thing out with not even a one pager of best practices where you ask many people and everyone have different answers about what's the best method of doing it. There, there, there's not an expert on shorts. I mean- because you could be successful one way and then someone else could be successful doing something completely opposite. Do you make a new channel? Do you put on your current channel? Do you do that? Like no one has the answer because it's always different. So to, to they've me- answered that one. 
I can tell you the answer if you didn't hear it. I have not heard the answer. So the answer from YouTube officially is if your shorts are going to be the same type of content. So basically, if you do tech content, but you want to do like comedy shorts or other shorts or just a mixed bag, make that a different channel. But if you do tech content and your shorts are also tech, put it on the same channel. Gotcha. Yeah. That's the, I mean, that's their advice. I don't know how it works in practice, but that's what they say. Gotcha. Because basically the shorts are going to reach way more new people than your, than your long form videos will. So if someone sees your short hit subscribe, you want them to have that same expectation versus you know, you have a comedy. Oh, this guy's so funny. Let me hit subscribe. And then, you know, they're seeing your like yeah. Tesla review. Like, wait, this isn't funny at all. For sure. So would it be fair to say that it felt like YouTube was very reactive with shorts, knowing that short form content is, is happening and they just threw it out there and now they're trying to figure it out. And now that oh, they're, yes. it's just like, OK, OK, here's short form. Here's short form. I mean, they weren't as reactive as Facebook was with reels. But yeah. yes, I also think they're taking an Apple approach here. Right. Wait and see which way the wind blows. And then come in and try to do it right. I, I just think, like Andrew said, I wouldn't bet against yeah. YouTube's ability to figure it out on the fly more than anybody else. So, yeah, I, I think it's kind of a, a me too type thing. But they have the resources and the audience and the eyes to have everybody forget who did it first. I agree. When I watch my wife on her phone, she's watching YouTube shorts a lot. And I ask her, I said, how did you get into the YouTube short experience? Like, how did you land there? And she's like, I don't know. She's like, I was on YouTube and now I'm watching short videos. Like, it's just the funniest thing. And so I I watch her behavior as a, as someone who just uses her phone casually to figure out how she ends up in certain spots, but she watches more short form content on YouTube and TikTok than anything else. Now that is, that is her way of watching things. And I gotta be honest, when my sink went out, uh, my garbage disposal went out, I went to TikTok first and I Mm -hmm. found a 60 second video that gave me my answer and it fixed it. And that was it. Hey. When you wanted yeah. to, when you wanted to redo your shorts wardrobe, like the the yeah, shorts that you wear shorts, on your body, not the short videos. Change my style. Shorts that you you wanted to put some I fashion. Went you went directly to TikTok. I go to TikTok for fashion advice. I mean, I and do. You found it. I do a lot of things on TikTok. I go the there first. TikTok, and it's the craziest thing ever. I have to say, like they still, out of everybody, have the algorithm so dialed in. Oh, their algorithm is incredible. So dialed, absolutely in. incredible. Like reels to me is garbage. Like the reels experience. Like when I'm yeah. just flipping through reels, it's just. Half the reels that I see are reels telling me what sound to use for my reels. <laughs> yeah. like what? Whereas on TikTok, it's just I can I can be on I can lose 90 minutes on TikTok just swiping away. For sure. Whereas that I, I won't do that on YouTube or reels. I don't know what they're doing over there, but YouTube needs to figure that part out. Like, how do you keep me in the shorts experience? Because it's harder on the other ones and TikTok just has it down. I don't know what they've done. But I get there. The algorithm is, is, I think, second to none. But they haven't figured out monetization. I'll tell you that much. Right. Well, they, they are starting a legit monetization versus the fund that everybody shares. <laughs> so they are the starting fund. that. But we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, because they don't have uh, AdSense behind them. Like AdSense is the de facto ad network on the Internet. It's the Internet's ad network, period. And so 100%. if you're going to compete with it, you have to you have to come hard and do it. And we'll see what happens. Let's move on. Let's move on a little bit to talking about Apple. Recent announcement from Apple. I was talking to Kevin about this. uh, I think it was yesterday. Yeah. But Apple released three new features that they are calling advanced security features. I'll kind of go through them in order of what I think is like least 
least important for most people to most important for most people. First one is iMessage contact key verification. So when you're messaging with someone using iMessage, iMessage is already end-to-end encrypted, but now Apple will let you know if there's something off about the conversation where you might want to confirm in a different way that you're talking to who you think you're talking to. So for example, I don't know, you're the president of the United States or whatever, and you're messaging with some governor. I don't, I don't really know how it all works, but you want to make sure that what you're sending is going to the person you think it is. And so, for example, they just bought a new iPhone. They just added it to their iCloud account. In the text message, it'll say, and, and Apple will let you know, hey, this person, this device just got added to this account. So you may want to check, you know, maybe you want to call them on the phone or do a FaceTime just to make sure you're talking to who you think you're talking to because it's a new device and someone could have hacked in or whatever. Secondly, two-factor hardware key support. That's these YubiKey devices where you can you can put in your password to log into iCloud, and then it will also require a physical key. So even if someone figures out your password and tries to log into your iCloud account, if they don't have this physical device in their hand, they still will not be able to get into your account despite having that password. Obviously, that is... Anytime you make something more secure, it becomes less convenient. And this is one of those things where you're getting like this great amount of security, but I'm always scared to enable, like I've, I bought these keys like a couple of years ago and it's like, I still haven't turned them on because I don't want to be locked out. Like, what if I just can't find it? Or what if I'm out and about yeah. somewhere and yeah. the keys at elsewhere? Like, what am I going to do? I guess I can talk to that point because I actually use a, oh, yeah, I use a YubiKey for my Google account. Yeah, that's what I was going to use it for. Yeah, so I use so. my Google account. I keep my YubiKey. I keep it in a safe in my house. Even if I don't have my YubiKey, there is alternative way. Because like when you enable two-factor authentication via hardware, they say, do you want to have, well, it provides like a, a password, like kind of like a crypto password, like a 16 words mm. type of password that is right. a backup. And also there's like a backup person it can text. So there's there's multitude way of mm. ways of getting into your account without the key. So even then, let's say I want to sign to my Google account and not at my house for whatever reason. I do have my 16 words that I save in iCloud, or I do have it in LastPass, or I have it, you can write it down physically, put it in your wallet. So there's other ways to get in if you don't have your YubiKey, and you can always buy another YubiKey if you lose it or whatever, but I keep mine actually in my house. So if I need it, I can get to it, it's in a safe. And so I'm very confident with that. I would definitely do it with my Apple account when, it, when it's ready, to, to be 100% honest, because I have no problems with, well, that, ready with, now. with that method. Well, okay, well, I would do it with so my Apple what account. you're saying, if you lose it or someone steals that hardware key, yeah. obviously you don't want that to happen. But if you lose it, you're not like completely just locked out of your account. I can only speak for Google because I set my account up through Google. There's a big password you can use or there's like a backup text message can text a contact in your phone or, or, or whomever you set up as that emergency contact. There, there's always going to be a way for you to get back into your account. Okay. I should, I should set this up. I should just, I should just, I mean, that's it. Seems so you want to tell us how to set it up? Yeah. How do you set it up? I mean, when, how do we set this up? When you're in your account, you just go to security and then there's a, a two factor authentication in there or like a hardware key authentication. Then it would ask you to, to tap your YubiKey or, t- or tap whatever NFC device you have as your backup key. And then from there, you just, you basically register it that way. That's all I have to do to register a new key. Yeah. That's it. Back in the day, it was a little difficult before iPhones had NFC. Yeah. It required mm. you to plug it into the iPhone and then use your finger as a fingerprint and and you had to install their app and it became a thing. But now since everything's NFC, if you have like one of the modern keys, you just tap it on the back of the phone or tap it on the back of whatever device you have and, and go. So yeah, it's super simple to set up. It's something that I recommend everyone to use just to make sure your account's safe. I mean, if I lose my Google account, 
game over, guys. You know what I mean? Right. Especially for us, because yeah. our Google account is also our YouTube yeah, account. Yeah, for sure. And like, if all someone, that, for sure. someone gets access to my LastPass, I mean, that is the that is the key to my life, right? Mm. You get access to my bank accounts. You get access to my email password. I mean, you get access to everything at that point. So I double secure, yeah. lock everything up when, when it comes to that, if I'm able to do that. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's the two-factor hardware key support. And I think the biggest one, the most interesting one, and the one that I think most people will probably use if they know about it, is the iCloud end-to-end encryption, which I think is a, a very, very long time coming, starting basically now if you're in beta, but I think the release is coming in the next week or two. iOS 16.2 will allow you to end-to-end, end-to-end encrypt everything in your iCloud account, including photos, your wallet passes, like basically every your, your iMessage chats, everything except for your mail contacts and calendars, as well as shared albums, because shared albums also have to be accessible by Android users and on the web. But now your iCloud backups will be encrypted as well. So everything that you have in iCloud will be encrypted, which means number one, if you choose to do this, it's on you to make sure you do not lose or forget your password. Because if you do, Apple cannot help you at that point, but your stuff is more secure. And on the flip side, one of the controversies is the FBI is not enjoying this because now they can't go to Apple if you've enabled this and ask them, hey, can we get this person's iCloud phone backup so we can restore their backup to an iPhone and see what's going on with their account? If you enable this, Apple Apple can turn it over. Here you go, but it's encrypted. And so there's it's basically useless. The last time I checked, I think it was like, even if you have the best tools, the best unencryption tools out there, it would take something like two million years of back to back, just put it and just let it just run for two million years before it will be able to crack the kind of encryption that we currently have. So and imagine, you know, tech gets better and better each year, even if they're able to tenfold that down to 100,000 years, it's still it's still not something that they'd be able to just kind of take and figure out on their own. Yeah, I have kind of an interesting perspective on this. Not many people know my background, but my first my first I went to school for Homeland Security. So I was actually on track to work for a law agency Cybersecurity, like my degree is in cybersecurity, and my family is heavily in law enforcement. Dad was a cop thirty years. My brother, federal agent, and all those things. So I'm always in tune to to these things, whatever. And when this announcement went out, I talked to my brother about it, and I was asking him like, "How do you get access to people's phones now?" And and all these things and court orders and stuff. And he said the funniest thing to, well, the funniest thing that stuck out to me is that when they're doing legal wiretaps and listening in. If there's two people on the phone who are suspects, they'll ask, like, are you on Android or iPhone? They're like, I'm on Android. Like, look, get an iPhone. Because if you're on Android, they can get your information that fast. Get an iPhone. Even criminals know that if you have an iPhone, that things are encrypted. SMS is encrypted. They know iMessage, iMessage, iMessage. Even they talk about the green bubbles. It's like, hey, your bubble's green. I can't talk to you. Go to Telegram. Go to WhatsApp. Like, they are extremely aware of that. And my brother said that like when there's a suspect and they have an Android phone and they get a court order to go into it, they're like, yes, we have everything we need. (laughs) If it's an iPhone, they're screwed. They have to keep that iPhone turned on and they have to send it to a third party lab to get access to it. And it could take months because if you type in the password wrong so many times, it wipes the phone. So they have to plug a battery bank into it, ship it overnight or drive it themselves to DC. And they have to put in this machine that will then brute force a password, but it has to wait because it says you have five minutes, you're going to be locked out of your phone. And it yeah. takes months to get into these phones. 
And that's kind of what they're dealing with today. And depending on your state, depending on the laws in your state, you cannot force someone, even under court order, to authenticate their devices if they're still in trial during discovery and, and things like that. That you cannot force someone to authenticate with their face or their fingerprint. You cannot do that. It Each state is different, but I, I know in Michigan, it is that way for sure. Yeah. After speaking to my brother about it. So when he heard this, he was like, well, you know, he's like, it's going to be harder for me to do my job. It's going to be that much harder to do my job. And I look at it from both ways. Like, I, I do think people deserve a level of security. I do believe that if I'm a law-abiding citizen, I do have the right to keep my things private and secure. But on the flip side, if there's a possibility to stop a school shooting or a possibility to stop some type of massive terrorist attack because they're able to pull this information down with the court order and, you know, probable cause and things that are required, I think there should be a way to get that information. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword and I don't have the answer, Sway. I don't know what to do at, at that point, but it is a very interesting situation that, that we have here. Yeah. The one thing I will say, and I understand what you just said, the fact is if there is a way to get into something that is encrypted, then it is not encrypted. If a hardware, if a key exists anywhere that someone can use, because we've seen this in all sorts of ways. Like remember DVDs were supposed to be, you cannot crack this encryption. And then DC, <laughs> D, I think it was called DCSS. If I'm not mistaken, there was a tool that came out because you do need to unencrypt the CD or DVD to watch it. Well, it fell into the wrong hands. Then next thing you know, it's they try to shut it down, but it's all over the internet and it's done. The second that happens, done. And DVD was never ever protected ever again because you had this tool. So if you if the, you if you have the strongest encryption in the world, but there is a key for it, then that key will inevitably fall into the wrong hands, and then that encryption is done. So it's either encrypted or it's not. This is an allied point, but not exactly on the encryption thing. And I apologize for interrupting. If you keep your crypto on an exchange, get a hard wallet and take that off the exchange. I just want to reiterate that while we're talking about things disappearing. Thanks a lot. Do not keep any of your crypto on an exchange. Thanks a lot for telling me a day, an hour too late, sir. <laughs> what happened? A <laughs> BlockFi happened. Oh, yeah. I saw your tweet. I was like, oh, let me let me go check. Oh, okay. And then I look back. Your tweet was like an no. hour old. And I was like, no, yeah. what is this? Well, Great, because that's I had like thirty eight k in there. That's just now I cannot. Act, it's still there, but I just can't do. I can't access. You can't it. do. I can't do anything with it. Right. Yeah. But if people keep their money on Coinbase, which I think will be fine, better to take it out. Which, which is a double edged sword, because then Coinbase doesn't have the money to take the liquidity away. Still, my crypto. I bought a hard wallet. Moved everything over to it. It's a really easy process. Hundred percent agree with you on this. Yeah. If it's not in, in a wallet that you physically have access to, then it's in someone else's wallet and they can turn off your access to what you believe is your crypto. And then so. for those that are worried that it's a hard process or complicated, it is as easy as, as, as sending crypto. You just copy your address, paste it into the exchange, hit send. And for most cases, it shows up and you own it. And like Kevin does with his YubiKey, I just keep my hard wallet in my safe and that's it. Yep. I agree. I agree. I have a ledger as well, and I do the same thing. So yes, I agree. Yeah. Speaking of also which, I know we were just we've on an aside now. Ledger hired Tony Fidel, the maker of the iPhone yeah. and and iPod, to make what is essentially, if you looked at it, you would think this is Apple's hardware wallet. It looks pretty cool, curved e-ink display and everything. It looks neat. My my Nano X is this fine. Yeah, and it, yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't need to look cool to be your hardware wallet. But just, yeah. just an aside, I just thought it was interesting that uh, yeah, it is, it is, that is true. This guy. 
Anywho, one thing I want to say about the encryption, aside from what Kevin was just saying, you always have to remember, even like, for example, email. Some people have encrypted email. But if you send me an encrypted email and I take a screenshot of it, I can very easily share that to someone. If our iMessages are encrypted and I take a screenshot, I can easily show that to someone. I can send it to someone. So don't, you have to, you have to, the encryption is just for your data. But for example, if you're doing crime and you turn on iCloud encryption, you're doing crime, you're out here doing doing crime, crime and you turn on the encryption on your iCloud account. The person you're communicating with, if they did not turn on encryption, then they can just go to their iCloud and get the data that way. So this, you know, there's a lot of moving parts here, but I am happy to see that at least I have the ability now to say my iCloud photo library and, you know, other things that are my backups of my devices can be encrypted and only I can access them and no one else can. Alongside that, Apple abandoned their child sexual abuse material efforts that they were going to do. I don't think you probably heard about this. I thought this was going to be the precursor to doing the photos as encrypted. I was like, once they launch this, then they'll be able to encrypt photos because they would have this protection in place. And the way it was going to work was your iPhone would scan for known child sexual abuse material. So no, there's like a known database, a federally known database or a global database. If the phone found something, it would then report, send a report to Apple who would communicate it to law enforcement. But anything that your phone found was kept on the phone until a certain amount. I think it was 20 to 25 pieces of this uh, global database. So Apple was not doing any scanning of your photos in the cloud or anything. Your phone was doing it on its own. But so many people were confused. Like, why is Apple scanning my, you know what I mean? To a lot of people, the iPhone is Apple. So if your phone is doing something, Apple is doing it. And Apple's getting this data. And so now they're just not doing it. So I guess people can store that kind of stuff in their iCloud too because they can turn on the encryption. That's a tough thing to communicate to yeah. an average person. That's a very it tough. Is. That's a very tough thing, and, it, and it's something that I wish just happened in the background without like a full announcement regarding it. You know, mm-hmm. it was just one of those things mm-hmm. that it's against the law to contain that, right? Right. So if your phone did it and it popped up, you can't argue and say, "Well, it shouldn't be scanning in the background anyway." That argument wouldn't occur in court. Like you can't make that argument. So I think it's a great thing that that I mean, because obviously that that is a. I mean, as it goes without saying, that is a, hor- a horrendous crime and there's no justification yes. for it. So I-, I love that people will get protected by having this feature, feature by having this thing turned on that can, that can protect children, right? I mean, that's the number right. one thing, yeah. especially as a parent, we're all parents, protecting children is the mm-hmm. most important thing in the world, right? And it just sucks that this cannot happen because people don't understand what that means. Though. Right, right. Right. I think if people really did understand what it was, how it worked, but it's such a, it's such a nerdy heavy like encryption and data fingerprinting is such a heavy nerdy concept that I think most people are just like what who's looking into my phone who's who's checking out what I have there and they think everything on their phone is being looked at as opposed to just catching these specific yeah. things all right let me let me move on to one quick one quick story I want to tell you guys when I talk, I mentioned earlier the tech disasters I want to see if you guys are familiar with this one I'm doing a full video on this have you heard of Juicero? I yes. Ooh. Everybody's heard of Juicero. Everybody's heard of Juicero, I right? Not, I didn't hear of Juicero. I have not heard of Juicero. Heard of Juicero. I can't. I can. I came close to. I thought I was going to order one. I was doing research on them, and then <laughs> you know, then they, everything happened. 
Here's what happened. Okay. So the, the early days of crowdfunding where people were just dropping all these consumer electronics gadgets and it's like, hey, I'll drop the money and I'm expecting to get it the day of, right? Before we figured out that crowdfunding meant you have to wait, you know, a year or two past the time that you that you backed it, right? So Juicero was like, hey, listen, when you have your juicer, you're like masticating the juice. You're like spinning it and doing all this stuff and crushing it. You need to do juice in a different way. You need to take the whole the whole fruit and vegetable and just squeeze the juice out of it. That's it. Don't just chop it up and squeeze. So we're going to make this at home juice press. And all you need to do is buy the juice press 700 bucks to back machine, it. the machine, the machine, the machine. And you also need to subscribe between five and eight dollars per week. And you would receive five juice packs. And you put the juice pack into the juicero, turn it on, and within two minutes, you have a nice glass, eight ounces or so, of delicious juice. Okay. And in all fairness, it did work. And it did, it did you work. did have you did have a glass of juice. Yes, you did. <laughs> you did end up with a glass of juice for sure. But number one, they did not have a lot of juice flavors. Number two, it was expensive. Seven hundred bucks for the juicer, and then five to eight dollars per week for five glasses of juice. Okay. Which is which I guess is okay if it's like high quality juice. That's what you'd pay in the store. Then what happens is <laughs> it was a Bloomberg. Was it Bloomberg? It was either Bloomberg or the Wall Street Journal. I forget which. Drops a video. Hey, check this out. This is the Juicero. Here's the pack of juice. Okay. Let me show you how this works. Instead of putting, oh, by the way, you so you'd put the you put the bag of juice into the juicero, it would connect to the internet to figure out how hard, what pressure it needs to crush the specific ingredients that you have in this juice bag. There was a lot of pomp and circumstance when you put the packets in, and yes. like it, it gave the impression there was a lot going on. Hmm. Okay. So in this video, what they did was they said, Hey, here's the juice bag. Let me show you what you can do here. Instead of waiting two minutes for the juicero to press this juice all you have to do is take the bag and squeeze it with your hands and in about 12 seconds you've got the same juice the same juice without paying 700 dollars, you have the same juice by squeezing it with your hands yeah the, and, ma- <laughs> the, the, the machine was just doing this the machine was literally just acting as your hands just squeezing but it wasn't squeezing it at such force that your hands couldn't do and in fact, the machine took way longer to create the glass of juice than you would do if you just bought the bag yourself and squeeze it with your hands. Mm. And so at that point, everything went downhill. Investor, like potential investors pulled out. Customers were obviously upset that they had paid all this money for something that they really didn't need at all. And it, it just turns to be a fancy, large device that took up half your kitchen counter that all it did was squeeze a bag. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's funny. Lots of money went into this. The guy that started the company, and he said this was serious. He was not joking. He said he wanted to become the Steve Jobs of juice. He wanted to change the way the world consumed juice. And the way he did it was a machine that just squeezed a plastic bag into a glass. How how many people want to be the Steve Jobs of of something? I feel feel like (laughs) if I ever to my hair that it never happens. I mean, that's the thing, though. Like, Steve, like, there's only one. There will only be one. Yeah, ever. Like, Elon is not the Steve Jobs of cars. He's the Elon of cars, right? <laughs> like, we, and that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, we'll get into on another episode. That, that should be that should be a whole show. 
Yeah, it should. Maybe that'll be the next show. We'll talk all about Elon's Twitter and everything else that's going on with this man. But Kevin, sir, thank you for joining yeah, us. Yeah, th- thanks for having me. It's all- always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Two of my favorite, John. Thank you, thank you. John, I grew up watching you as a little kid on YouTube, man, and it's just so, so great oh, wow. to see you here uh, today in front of me. I appreciate you, man. That was also that? backhanded, I'm just saying. I know. That's all right. <laughs> you don't look as old as you actually are. Yeah. And it's crazy how I watched you as a kid, though. Ridiculous. Appreciate it. Yeah, guys. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next thanks, time. Thanks, guys. See you. Bye. And that is it for this edition of Geared Up. Thank you so much for listening. Of course, you can catch John and I on YouTube. I'm at youtube.com slash gear live. And John is at youtube.com slash John for Lakers. Feel free to head over and subscribe to our channels to stay up to date on all the latest tech. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to Geared Up in your favorite podcast app if you haven't done so already. Just search Geared Up, that's two words, not one, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or really wherever you choose to listen. If you like what we do, please consider leaving us a rating and review. It really helps other people find the show. Geared Up is a Gear Live podcast, and you can see more from us at gearlive.com. Thank you so much for listening. For John Rettinger, I'm Andrew Edwards, and we'll catch you in the next episode.